0: I just want to encourage you to start to think about monitoring or just performance testing in general. You can't be everywhere, right? You need something to be able to validate what your customers are seeing and what they're feeling. And you need metrics that tell you something about that experience. Calibre and, and other tools you know, have metrics that try to describe what a user sees and feels. I think that's the coolest thing about Jamstack in the first place. It's centered around the idea that it should be performant.
1: Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Ben Schwartz coming in from Melbourne, Australia. Hey, Ben. Hey, how are you? Awesome. So Ben, you want to tell the the audience what you're doing right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Caliber. We're building tools to help companies make the web slightly faster than it is today. Uh, And we're doing that by providing monitoring that tries to get into some real-world user situations where... We test from all over the globe, from fourteen different locations around the world, uh, under different network conditions. We can, uh, you know, make it seem like the user—it's you know—it's all simulated user kind of stuff, and and we can say, oh, this is on a really slow phone on a three G connection in Mumbai, India, or you know, you can pop right over to Singapore or back over to to California if you want to. So, so with Caliber, you're saying that you could provide
1: emulation for all these instances.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the idea is that you know you can check to see what conditions your customers are in, and then you can have a lab where you know you effectively monitor those users' situations, uh, and you get a really good understanding of if you're you know improving things for them, or maybe you know if if performance is degrading.
1: Okay, and then I assume with monitoring, you get like logs, and like if there's some sort of uh, instances that need improvement, is this like all part of the whole Caliber experience?
0: Yeah, part of the experience is that you get uh, screenshots of everything of, of the load progress of your site. You get a little video if you want to of any particular test, uh, as well as a whole stack of metrics and also recommendations that are coming from uh, some other tooling as well, like Google's Lighthouse project is built into Calibre, for example. And so we have those recommendations of oh, if you know, if you were to do these two or three things,
1: you know, your performance would improve from there. Awesome. So. I guess the the question I guess I'm wondering is like why why caliber why performance? Do you have like some sort of anecdote or experience that you had prior to caliber that pushed you towards building a company around web monitoring? Yeah, I I mean I would say that I'm
0: probably similar to a lot of other you know product builders, and that you know I care about user experience, and I and I want things to be fast and fluid and, and feel good for somebody using it, but. I think that interest has been around for a long time. I was looking back at an old project recently. I made a static site generator eight years ago. I know it's eight years because it says it on GitHub. <laughs> it's called Bonsai. Uh, it was about the same time that Jekyll came out, but the idea was that you know it was all based off YAML uh, and you could you could generate a static site that used, you know, the structure of your disk to, to have the routes. For everything. So it's kind of stuff that we're seeing a lot of now. Yeah. But it also uh, it compressed your CSS, it compressed your JavaScript, had all that tooling built in like eight years ago. Yeah. And so I think I was just generally interested in, in performance uh, pretty much my entire career. I, I think that's safe to say.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty early on. I mean, if you came around the time of uh, Jekyll. So I, I imagine, is this project still actively used and maintained? Uh, Bonsai it is? It's not maintained at all. Uh, I
0: don't. I don't think the last commit was definitely in the last few years. But there was a small community of people who were using it for sure, and they were using it for every site that they built. And I, you know, I definitely used it for for a bunch of stuff that that I worked on back in the day. I was working more of a consultant, you know, for for all sorts of companies all over the country and on, and kind of all over the world. And I used it for a furniture site for uh, like an office furniture company one time. And I think that that was that was really cool because it had. Hundreds of pages, and I had to do a whole bunch of optimization
1: on the tool itself to be able to generate those hundreds of pages, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess I won't condone using it, but I'll definitely check it out on GitHub. Try to figure out what I missed. I guess eight years ago, because I don't, I don't think I remember. Actually, I don't think I was actually programming eight years ago. I was actually, I didn't start until like five years ago. Really? So yeah, wow. I would have missed it entirely. Yeah, I've super fast ramp up here in San Francisco. Um, I think you uh, you go to a boot camp, and then you're like senior engineer. I think it's the How it goes? (laughs) I'm just kidding. It doesn't go that way. There's a lot more hard work that goes into that. Sure. So you're you're learning from doing bonsai and just basically building web apps, I guess, up until now. That's how you got the, the whole performance and monitoring piece of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I worked as a consultant for about 10 years, I would say, and. You know, I, I was a Ruby developer since way back and I'd, I'd always been that person who worked in between the designers and the, the developers, like the, the really smart people and the people who are really good at, you know, designing and building interfaces. And of course, I was interested in both sides and, and my skills sort of bled in both directions. And, you know, through my consulting work, what I found was that I just, you know, I'd go into a team and I would, I would meet all these people that I thought were great and fun to be around. And then six months later, I would leave because that's how consulting works. And yeah. you know, I still see some of those people you know, now, years later, and that's, that's awesome that I've got so many people that I worked with. But I really hated that I didn't own anything and I didn't feel like, you know, I mean, even you would make a recommendation and you would say, oh, well, you know, you would probably want to do this. Like, I'm not even going to be here to be responsible for it later. So maybe that's what you want to do. And I, I just kind of hated that. It felt like a cop out. You know, it felt like I wasn't doing enough. And so with Calibre, I didn't set out to start it. It started as a, a hobby project, you know, something that I was working on. And I, I, I was doing a bunch of open source work at the time. And I basically had a rule with myself where I wouldn't work on something if I didn't think I was going to release it. So okay. it was just a rule. So it was like, don't waste your time on stuff that you're never going to release. Only, only do stuff that you release. And so with Calibre, I kind of, I was so interested in it and I didn't really think it was going to go anywhere. But... I just forced myself to do it. And then, you know, I launched it on my birthday, which was a fun thing to do. You know, hey, here's this thing I've been working on for six months in quiet Uh launched it on my birthday and people started signing up and people that I didn't know started signing up. And then I added a credit card form eventually and started 2017. I, I stepped back to say, oh, okay, I think there is actually a, a viable business here. And I and I went full time, and you know
1: here we are almost two years later. Yeah, there's a there's a popular correlation between I guess in general just the jamstack in general as well as like consulting. So like I had Jeff Escalante here talk about um, roots, and then also um, he came through consulting too as well uh, over there in New York and Philadelphia. So he has a static site generator, and then Kyle Matthews, who's now in um, leading a company around Gatsby, also came through consulting. So it's like there's a all a lot of people out there who are building sites really quickly and really fast and like I'm the opposite of you where I I never ship stuff actually. I just work on stuff just for the sake of working mm-hmm. on stuff and then never ship mainly because the main product that I work on it solves a lot of my needs and then I'll just like carve off some time to sort of Plan a happy project but never ship it but so I appreciate you you being persistent in actually getting to the end of the uh, release process I guess because you release something
0: yeah look I think those those rules are good to live by if it's like a project that you're going to invest a lot of time into but also you know the other side of that is you know I have projects that I've worked with friends of mine I have one called Gif City and Gif city was basically a thing that we built in the browser it used all JavaScript but we you know we wrote this like six years ago so maybe that wasn't as common then. Yeah. But all that this thing did was hit Tumblr and you could tell it the Tumblrs that you liked and it would do a full-screen GIF. Like it would just look for GIFs on Tumblr. And we added some like keyboard controls and we were playing this at parties and projecting it on buildings across, you know, from the rooftop while like somebody was playing music or, or whatever. And we had buttons to change the GIF or to never show it again, or we also did this mirroring thing where they were mirrored, reversed out on the side, so you've got a really like widescreen thing. And one of the other guys that I worked on it with did a WebGL version where he had like pixels that were part of the GIF that were just being thrown out the screen. And you know, I think those kind of projects are the most fun. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. The things where you get to pull a few passions together and just build something that's ridiculous but, but fun.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, my daytime job is like developer advocate, so I tend to attach myself to a project and then build a lot of examples. And uh, most of my examples are a little zany and off the wall. So I I have an example which uh, was going to be my pick, which we are, so at GitHub we have GitHub Actions. So I'm going to build an action to basically look at people's PRs. And if it's like over like 15 files, then it'd be like, just respond automatically when you open up the PR to say like, what are you doing? Or question mark, or actually, I don't know what I'm going to call it, but yeah, that was like, my idea to do like a one-off bra is too much. And uh, I think another couple of examples that I have is, uh, I think I mentioned this quite a few times on the podcast, but I'll mention it one more time, which is my hustling app, which comes to mind in Your Gift City, where I built a, an API to basically tell me when there's a baseball game to avoid the BART and avoid the city at all costs whenever there's baseball, which which will be coming out in a couple months because spring training is coming up again. But yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with the, um, Scratching an itch, but also having fun with it. It's easier to approach, but also it helps keep you like, I guess, on the horse to continue to push and, and ship it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Considering the the jam so what would you need to focus on with like Jamstack or static site generator sites as far as performance goes? Or some sort of like low hanging fruit you can solve?
0: Well, I think that's the coolest thing about just the definition of, of Jamstack in the first place. It's centered around the idea that it should be performant. Yeah. In the way that you know you're building a static site, and yeah, sure, you're going to use an API, and that could slow it down. But you should statically render you know it, it on a server side so that there's no API wait kind of time, and that's excellent that that's kind of baked in. Because if they didn't, you know, if they didn't even say like, oh yeah, you shouldn't like static site, you could like pre render it if you wanted to, uh, we'd be losing a lot of performance there. So it's so cool that that's like a foundational thing of of Jamstack for sure. But you know, I mean, all the same rules still apply. So there are a few areas where the web is slow, and I can I can talk about them if you want to. I'm
1: all ears. I'm, I, I do the lighthouse thing for most of my sites. Actually, I have a site I just shipped yesterday, for a hackathon in Nigeria. So top of mind is like, let's make sure this thing is as fast as possible, and let's not break Android phones over in Nigeria, uh, where people are trying to look at this thing. So yeah, White House is like my go-to as far as checking the boxes, but yeah, I'm curious to it uh, what you know of sort of corners of the internet that need to be improved.
0: Yeah, for sure. At Caliber, we have hundreds of customers who are testing thousands and thousands of pages and they're doing it a lot. And so we see a, a lot of common issues, but they do fall into a few small categories. Probably the one of the most impact is just JavaScript on the web. A lot of people you know, are excited by a JavaScript. A lot of people are confused by it. A lot of people have been building it for years, but maybe not using the most modern techniques that are around as well. You know, there's every level of the spectrum, but there's a few important things to remember. The first thing is that when you're delivering JavaScript over the wire, you've got to remember that, you know, it might be compressed, it might be gzipped, And so what happens after that? It gets down to the device. The device has to decompress it, firstly, Then it has to analyze it. But remember, you know, maybe your, you know, the average size of of a script on the web today is about 600k. Like the average site has about 600k of script. So once you've decompressed that, that can be somewhere, you know, the region of two, two and a half, maybe even three megs. Depends on the file, right? And so you've suddenly you've got this wad of script, and that needs to be like after it's downloaded, it needs to be interpreted, turned into an AST, and then it needs to be executed. And the thing with browsers is that they're doing that in a single-threaded environment. And so if your page is, you know, you're trying to paint some stuff so that the user can you know actually see something and you're, you've just downloaded this one of JavaScript and then that kicks in, and then there's third-party scripts that are also being parsed and downloading it at the same time, what you're doing is really uh, affecting the CPU performance of a page. And so, you know, the TLDR of that is that, you know, for a user, you know, you could be sitting on a couch, you know, scrolling along your feed or like reading an article for a recipe you're about to cook, something like that. And like, we've seen it, right? It's the thing where the page sort of stops scrolling and your finger keeps moving. Yeah. And then it catches up and then you scroll to the bottom of the page and then you've clicked on an ad and you've opened another browser window. And like, it's the most frustrating, annoying thing, but it's, it's most notable on a mobile rather than a, a desktop because they have slower CPUs. So you know, your, your $3,000 MacBook, which is super fast. Well, if you've got a $2,000 iPhone, maybe it's the same experience, right? Those those things are, are fast as heck. So what happens when you use a three-year-old phone or a phone that, you know, you bought at the post office because, uh, you know, you can't afford something else or, or whatever your, you know, your conditions are, it essentially means that, you know, no no two devices are going to have the same experience. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, if, if you were to compare... Loading a 500k JPEG, which is you know kind of a big image, I guess, and compare that to uh, 500k of JavaScript. The JavaScript is far far more damaging to the device and to the user experience because it has to go through that main thread, where it can really cause some performance issues. So you know, number one is always JavaScript, and. I guess I can take a second to talk about what
1: what you can do there. Yeah, let's solve this problem. Yeah, we can solve this. It's not which is like delete all your JavaScript files. Is that the uh, yeah. answer? Yeah, I actually had that as a.
0: <laughs> I, I gave a talk uh, over in Denver last year, and I had a table where the the idea was that like when you're talking about doing performance work, maybe write down the thing. You know how much performance you think is in that thing. So I think there's five seconds in this. And then, you know, have an estimate and then have what you achieved from the work that you actually did, right? But the comment, you know, under, you know, the very bottom one at the bottom of the table was, uh, yeah, delete all your JavaScript. I think there's 15 seconds there. And then the problem is that you probably lose all your revenue and it's probably not a realistic thing to do. So you just can't, you can't do that, right? So yeah, what can we do? Okay, we can reduce the amount of scripts. So if you've got third parties, maybe you can try and get rid of some of them if that's maybe realistic. Or maybe you can delay the time at which they get loaded. If you're if you're trying to load everything with all of your you know your your script at the same time, that's putting a lot of pressure on the device. So if you can delay some of those things to happen, some of them can happen asynchronously, so that when the device is you know able to process it, it will. And you can delay some of them until later. So that's that's one thing you can do is you can delay things that aren't essential, and that sort of steps into another thing that we've seen in the JavaScript community, which is code splitting. And what the idea of code splitting is, is that your JavaScript bundler thing that gets all of your scripts and puts it together into one big wad. some of the new ones like Webpack are capable of understanding that, say uh, you've got a React component or something like that, you're you're actually able to say like, oh, I want to load this other dependency of this component from somewhere else. And Webpack is smart enough to know that like, okay, we're going to split that thing into another file and when the user gets to this component, we're going to go and like load it at that time. And so what you can end up with is a much, much smaller bundle going in, and then people will progressively load what they need. And I, you know, I think that's kind of really where the web should be. We shouldn't be trying to load everything, the whole website all at once, right? We should be trying to give people just what they need.
1: Yeah. You, you had mentioned that uh, Calibre, it, it ties in with the Lighthouse open source project from Google and uh, you mentioned like code splitting, and like my, my experience with code splitting is like it works like on brand new projects that are like I just threw it up together, and I I was watching a tutorial or whatever, and I was sort of like hand fed what to do to make code splitting work. But I found like in realistic projects that I've already had like I've been working on, and like I've, I discovered code splitting after the fact, mm. it's very hard to approach at that point. So does Caliber provide any sort of like education or like hand holding, not just for code splitting, but for some of these other things like service workers and et cetera? To like push you towards making a better experience on the web.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, in terms of on the caliber side, we try to make recommendations, and you know, some of those recommendations come from Lighthouse as well. You know, for doing those sorts of things, but we also write a fair bit of content. So, we spend a hell of a lot of time looking into browser tooling. Uh, I've spent a lot of time reading Chrome source code to figure out bugs and and that sort of stuff. We we tend to find about. I'd say somewhere between two and three Chrome bugs per month, and they can be really, really subtle, small things, or they can be, you know, maybe slightly bigger. And we work quite closely with the Lighthouse and, and Chrome DevRel team, so you know, we get an understanding of these issues, and we kind of understand how the browser works. And so we try to demystify some of that through our writing. Okay. One of the posts that comes to mind that I did last year, maybe even the year before, it could be, uh, where we upgraded to React sixteen, which was brand new at the time. And we went into Chrome DevTools and we were like, okay, so let's try and figure out why this thing is slow. Let's step through and audit together, piece by piece. And you know, instead of going, oh yeah, the website's slow, like reduce the amount of script you have. Let's actually see what that script is doing. And so this, this article, which is on you forward slash blog, is all about how to use the tools to understand what is happening and what you can do next. Gotcha. And so, you know, it doesn't matter how big your code base is, you can still do that, right? You can still trace. You just have to know how. And that's that's kind of the most.
1: Yeah, that's like the biggest challenge. I think there's a plethora of content and documentation that you can, like, basically copy and paste from the Chrome dev blog. But I think a lot of it's sort of like you have a perfect project and you have a perfect situation to basically copy and paste this code and put it in there. And uh, whenever I'm outside of that perfect situation, I, I think the world's just lacking that content, as you had mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd be excited to sort of thumb through some of that stuff and maybe have some of the listeners as well jump through that and see if they can apply it to their, their projects today.
0: Yeah. I think that's what we're trying to do at Calibre at the moment. You know, we think our tool is great and we, we know that it needs to get better. And we know that other tools need to get better too. And so in the meantime, I think we need to help educate people and, and try to have this understanding of what is really important because it isn't easy to really know what to do next. So we're trying to help people make that leap where maybe they don't know something, but they know how to learn. And I think that's that's one of the most important things that we can do. Excellent. Have you heard of the, the conference Perf Matters? I have, I have. It's coming up, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well actually it's coming up here in the spring, down in Redwood City, I believe. But yeah, I would I definitely want to mention that in case uh, listeners are interested in like finding content as well as last year's conference. There's probably a lot of, Good little tidbits they can find from that, for sure.
0: Yeah, I know Estelle, who, who runs it quite well, and she's incredible. And uh, it's their second year of the conference, and the lineup this year looks fantastic. Like There are people who are you know, doing amazing work in the performance world, and it's definitely, you know, if you're in the area, you should go. I would be coming, but it's actually it's my birthday on the day of the conference. So. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I was talking to Estelle about it. I couldn't make it last year either, but. So would that make caliber one year old
1: then? At this point.
0: Well, no, not not caliber's birthday. Uh, caliber's on two years now. So. Oh, two years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because you had mentioned you had shipped on on your on birthday. A, on a birthday, yeah. I mean, it's I've been full time for two years. I was working on it a little bit before that,
1: but I, I don't really count that. Cool. I wanted to actually ask you a little bit about Australia, too, since you're already there, <laughs> and also considering you're in the future. What's the uh, the dev scene like in Australia? Because I know I'm here in the Bay Area, like most people sort of migrate or find themselves here at least once or twice a year, or at least move here for work or whatnot. So what's the sort of dev scene in Australia between Melbourne and Sydney? Yeah, huge. Uh, huge and active, I w- yeah. would say.
0: We've got a bunch of newer companies like... Culture Amp and Canva, and they're large. Like I saw, Culture Amp just bought a company from from Silicon Valley like yesterday. So that's pretty cool. And I know the founders there. It's super active, and you know we have some of the most talented people in the world for sure. Just thinking about the people who are, you know, I'm lucky enough to have around me, and we've got people who, you know, started the Styled Components project for CSS, or the people who created CSS modules, or the people who. Are you know writing and speaking about working with Figma or Sketch and like building a design system and that sort of stuff. So like these people are really at the forefront of where we are as builders for the web. No question. I'm quite proud to be an Australian. I mean, I know we're not <laughs> in in terms of uh, some of our things that we're doing environmentally and, and and to people aren't the best things. But in terms of the dev world, uh, we're very talented, and you know I think we should be proud of that.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, if I ever make it out to Australia, I'll hit you up, figure out where Melbourne is first, and then, yeah. then I'll hit you up.
0: <laughs> yeah, for, do it for sure, because it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world, for sure. But I guess you've got the added advantage. I, I, you know, you're in SF, so it's not cold or anything ever there. Melbourne is quite famous for its weather. It's similar to San Francisco, but, you know, it's, I know it's freezing over in New York right now. But, you know, today it's completely
1: perfect blue sky, it's summer. It's beautiful. Excellent. Yeah. So, anything else you want to add about Calibre or web performance that maybe listeners can check out? Yeah. I mean, firstly,
0: I just want to encourage you. You know, even if you don't use Calibre, you know, I want you to start to think about monitoring or just performance testing in general, because the thing is, you can't be everywhere. You can't be in Frankfurt on a 3G connection, right? You need somebody to be able to validate or something to be able to validate what your customers are seeing and what they're feeling. And the other thing is that you need metrics that tell you something about that experience. And so, Caliber and, and other tools, you know, have metrics that try to describe what a user sees and feels. And so, in, you know, a couple of cases, I'll give you a couple examples. Firstly, uh, we, we have paint metrics that describe like, when the first thing happens. So like, when a user gets drawn into your experience and sees that something is happening, uh, we have a metric to like, tell you about that point in time. We also have a metric to tell you when a page stopped rendering, like, when it visually stopped changing. So like, that's the point when a user you know, would be like, okay, I'm going to interact with this thing now. And then you know, thirdly, we also have a metric called time to interactive, which studies the JavaScript main thread, which I talked about a little bit earlier where if a user was to click on a button, it will respond, right? So Time to Interactive tells us when a page is actually interactive and the JavaScript is loaded, everything is ready to go. And so that's a really interesting timeline metric to explore. And as builders, if we you know just had those three metrics for a mobile device that isn't $2,000 and we focused on improving those metrics globally, we would be offering a really, really great experience. You know, if you make something fast on a slow phone, it's going to fly everywhere
1: else, and that's so cool. Excellent. Yeah. So before we transition the picks, I just want to make a quick mention. I messed up on Jeff Escalante. Uh, I'd mentioned he was on the here, and his project was Roots. And then the one we talked about was actually Spike. So I'd actually discovered that while we were talking, but wanted to insert that. So listeners, episode twenty, check out Jeff's uh, episode up on Spike. And then let's go ahead and transition the picks. So these are jam picks, things that we're jamming on. This could be like food-related, tech-related, unrelated as well, we've had quite a few of those uh, in the episodes, so feel free to make something unrelated. But if you don't mind, I do want to mention my pick, uh, which first is jampicks.netlify.com. So someone actually tweeted me and was like, hey, is there a list of all the picks that we've done uh, on the podcast? And I said no. Uh, so I have now created jampix.net.com. It's a Gatsby site, and it literally just goes has every single episode. It's super non-CSS, no design at all. But it will show you every episode, including this one, and the picks that we pick. So that's a little meta, but definitely check out that. I'd also alluded to in the conversation with GitHub Actions. So Ben, have you seen GitHub Actions yet, or you heard of these yet?
0: I have. We're actually building some tools for that right now.
1: Very cool, yeah. Send them my way if you want some uh, exposure or if you uh, need some uh, engineering help or partner help or anything like that, I can hook you up. I know somebody. Cool. But for the listeners, if you haven't seen GitHub Actions, these are essentially these are like scripts that you can run in GitHub. So you can literally run code in GitHub on GitHub. Under the hood, it's actually Docker containers, so you have like 53 minutes of runtime. So very similar to like serverless functions or Netlify functions. You could ship code um, without needing to host it yourself. But it's a little more than that, so any sort of like event that you have on GitHub, so let's say every time you push, you want something to happen. I know a lot of other services within the Jamstack, like they automatically deploy for you, but imagine every time you push or every time you merge the master, like you want to cut or release, uh, you can actually set that up through GitHub actions and then some as well. So we've seen a lot of people running like Ruby code directly within GitHub. So as soon as something happens, just run a script of Ruby. So definitely check it out. As I mentioned, I'm I'm running like this trivial action that basically, if there's more than like 15 files, it just comes up with a nice little funny quip and basically says, "Hey, make maybe consider breaking up these files into the, into a smaller PR." I'm still working out on whether it's 15 or whatever. 15 is arbitrary at this point, but I'm just mainly just trying to have fun with the projects I work on and have a little banter in there. I had one last pick, so. Quite a few episodes ago, we had Ken C. Dodds on, and inside that that episode, the picks I chose was corn tortillas and how to cook them on your stove. I've recently got into doing a lot of baking, so 2019 is my year of making food. So I've made flour tortillas, and it's actually surprising, really easy to make. It's literally three cups of flour and like two tablespoons of baking soda, and then two tablespoons of lard, and then uh, hot water. And then you put that together, throw it into a cast iron skillet, and you have a flour tortilla. It's like beautiful. And I've only been eating my own tortillas since like the beginning of this year, and it's been great. You can freeze the dough too as well. So I just throw them in the freezer, little balls of dough, and then thaw them and make like a little tortilla with some eggs or some cheese. Or They kind of make like chalupa-like, so I've made like chalupas too as well, which is, uh, if you guys aren't familiar, just check out Taco Bell. They've got chalupas there. But other than that, those are my picks. Ben, do you have any picks? I do, I do. I was just updating my picks uh, as you were speaking because
0: you just you made (laughs) me care about things so much. Um, (laughs) Firstly, GitHub Actions is really cool, and I I had it as one of my picks as well. I saw a really good one, so performance related. There was a GitHub action that would that would run in your pull request, and it would go through the images in your pull request and automatically compress them for you. Oh wow! Yeah, it's incredible, and so it posts. A diff of you know the byte improvement for the image, and that there's no you know visible differences or artifacts for those images. And I, I just think that's where we should be automating things, right? Like yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, if we want to build good products, let's make the hard stuff that's annoying. Let's just make that you know easy to do.
1: Yeah, talk about annoying. Like I literally was working on a blog with other people from my team. And one of the biggest annoyances was literally images, because like we'd have like three gigs of images for every single blog post we wrote for like three years, and that became problematic. So like having something automate the process of like, hey, this swap out this image with something better, or was this on S three? Was they were they using S three to sort of do that? I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> okay, I vaguely remember somebody using S three to do something with an action, but I'm not sure if we're thinking of the same one. No. But yeah, that it sounds like an amazing use of automating stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what what was your next pick? Absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, it's summer in Australia. So, cycling at the moment is the best for me. I've got a couple of friends who have just bought new bikes. And, you know, we're heading out, you know, every day if we can, pretty much, you know, after morning calls or whatever. uh, It's what I'm going to do after this call. So, cycling in the sun and, you know, going to the river and, and watching animals and that sort of stuff. I think there's few things that are better in the world. Apart from that, in food, I've been really into bagels recently. I'm using a recipe that is called Soft Chewy Bagels from Scratch. It's on chefsteps.com. And I don't know. I've just been making delicious bagels every every few days here at home. And um, I
1: just love a bagel for breakfast. So Yeah, that sounds intimidating. Tortillas is probably the most creative I've been as far as uh, my cooking so far. And I, like, I looked at the recipe for like croissants and like I was just completely like intimidated not to do it because the amount of work it goes into. But yeah, I'm going to check out your recipe and I'm going to make a bagel. And you know, I've, I've done a bit of stuff with doughs recently. Like I've been making flatbreads or bagels or like I've tried some, some sort
0: of basic stuff. Uh, I always found dough really difficult to work with. But this, this recipe, we, you know, maybe you can link it up in the show notes or something. Uh, I'm getting really good results with that. And I think I'm starting to understand how the whole thing works. So uh pizza base too, which
1: I you know, I mean you can make pizza at home. Yeah. I mean, when you can have pizza on a bagel, you can have pizza anytime. Oh I'm into that. Uh yeah, and then my final thing is I'm
0: just really into building building caliber like the product at the moment. Uh, we just had somebody start with us full time and you know, they're they're kicking us and I'm just so enjoying what I'm doing. So I guess just building a product and trying to help, you know, make the web faster
1: than it is today is it's kind of what gets me up every day, and I'm super passionate about that. Awesome. Congratulations to the new hire. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on and chatting about performance. It was actually really insightful, and uh, I look forward to tinkering out your, your project as well as uh, reading some of your content as well. So Ben, uh, enjoy your, your cycling ride, and listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio.